Welcome, I'm Moshe Ferber. And I am Ariel Munafon. And this is the Silver Lining Podcast, a podcast about security architecture. Today we are with Moshe Ferber. Hey, good morning. Hi, Ariel. Good morning to everyone. And today we are going to talk about cloud configuration pitfalls. And we have a very special guest, which is Yevgeny Zislis, which I have to admit I've been following him on the social media for years. He's a very experienced DevOps guy, and uh, I'm really looking forward for this session with him. And again, talk about cloud p- uh, configuration uh, challenges, which is one of my favorite topics, because I make a living from uh, talking about other people's failures. Uh, this is security, by the way, uh, talking about how other people fail to do security. And um, excited to see you here. Hi, Evgeny. Good morning. Pleasure to have you here. Hi, Moshe, Ariel. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, so I'll introduce myself in a couple of words. I'm, uh, for the last seven years, have been the CTO of uh, ProdOps, a company that provides consulting services in the field of uh, operations, DevOps, cloud, configuration management, etc., etc., etc. Before that, I have been always um, very close to development, helping them succeed with all their operational needs when IT was too far away, uh, organization uh, uh, kind of in the organization. So uh, the topic of security is something that has always been alongside my work. And uh, there are many examples that I can bring up even from the last week that I'll talk about uh, showing uh, how important security is when doing operations in a software. Excellent. Um, so actually what we have planned for you today, guys, is first of all, we're going to talk about the common uh, pitfalls that we have. Uh, basically, we made a list. It is made out of uh, six or seven uh, different con- uh, cloud configuration pitfalls. When we say cloud configuration pitfalls, let's uh, focus the discussion. We're talking about a company who built their software on top of IaaS uh, slash PaaS infrastructure service slash platform service. And usually... Those services are very robust, they're very scalable, they're very efficient, but they have a very steep learning per curve, they are very complicated, and people are all the time are making mistakes. Usually when you see the headline, X million user record exposed on Amazon, this is, on 99% of cases, this is the customer, the cloud consumer fault. They fail to basically build the uh, the proper configuration sometimes it's bad luck sometimes it's lack of knowledge sometimes it's simply a lack of professional and uh, i would say uh, governance risk and compliance uh, services there are various reasons why we fail to do the proper security configuration and uh, this is basically in the first 10 minutes of this podcast we're going to talk about the different failures then we're going to talk about how we can limit and reduce the amount of failures in the organization and as always we are trying to put things in the uh, people process and technology views so Evgeny you've seen a lot of cloud configuration uh, failures in the last couple of years and we made a nice list of uh, different uh, failures I suggest we just uh, start reviewing them uh, yeah One thing I like to I like to add to what you just said is that for example uh, Amazon AWS have something they're uh, constantly repeating and they call it the shared responsibility model shared responsibility model means 
they're responsible that your data on their hardware will not be leaked. It's protected by security guards and all kinds of other security uh, measures. But what you do with their services is uh, in your hands. So you are responsible for that. That's how they are sharing the responsibility with the customers. Uh, so let's go um, and read from the list. The, the first item is, of course, improper security group configuration. Now, for those who don't know, security groups are basically firewalls. And in many cases, the default for people who don't care uh, so much is just to open up the firewall to the whole world, even when it's not really appropriate. It's much more um, comfortable to use because you don't need to kind of go and figure out how to be very explicit or specific about it. Um, and, and in most cases, for example, uh, when you create a server on a, a infrastructure as a service a cloud platform, that server will need to be accessed via SSH or, or WinRM or some other remote control protocol. And it is not a very smart idea to open uh, these up to the world because from time to time there are vulnerabilities, there are uh, ways to penetrate, there are ways to check various passwords uh, using this remote service. And uh, by default, people who don't care so much will put it open to the whole world. And in many, many cases, it will bring to the to the unfortunate cases that, that these servers have been compromised or hacked or brute forced or um, controlled by in, in some various ways. From my point of view, um I see two uh, challenge, two big challenges here. I mean, everybody knows that port shouldn't be open. I mean, it's not something that we need to educate. But uh, companies fail at two places. First of all, containers added complexity to the uh, to the entire network scene. We used to have okay, we have a computer, we have an instance. It gets private IP, public IP. That's about it. But now we have computers who get IP addresses and containers who get IP addresses and the routing and, uh, and they open up their own uh, uh, elastic load balancers uh, uh, configuration. So everything is much more complicated if you don't understand the, the networking layer of the containers, which is a bit immature because container is a new technology. Evgeny, you want to add on this? Yeah, and uh, for example, Kubernetes is also at fault at this because with a very small line change, you can turn a service in Kubernetes into a load balancer. And that will actually, the Kubernetes itself will create a load balancer with your cloud provider, which will be by default open to the whole world, even when this is not what you intended. And most people who would do it will not actually... Um, uh, go and notice that they have done so. So if you have some s service that should be secure, with a small change in one line, you can turn it into something that is open to the whole world and you will not even notice. And one thing that I want to add, as being a developer before 20 years, I didn't care about ports. <laughs> yeah, uh, I didn't care about sure. ports. Yeah, I have to say that uh, from security people who do care about uh, ports, I see a different mistake. They don't understand security groups. And they, what they ended up doing is sending all their instances into one security group instead of separating to different security groups. And they try to segregate the different servers in specific policy rules between the... Uh, so they, they ended up in having one large security groups with tons of uh, rules, and they treat it like a regular firewall without understanding the different tweaks. And of course, the default configuration is always a problem in the cloud. Uh, uh, most of configuration is... Uh, 
the filters are open outside. And again, as Evgeny mentioned, we have uh, in one line, we can have uh, your Kubernetes changing uh, network uh, settings and firewall settings. So again, this is challenging for security people. In, in just one, one, one line that is security groups, it's how many problems and how many things we need to close is uh, interesting. Yeah. And of course, when anything doesn't work in your cloud provider, the first jerk reaction is let's open up all the ports everywhere. Yeah. And it stays that way forever yeah. from that point on. And this is also relevant for our second uh, favorite mistake, which is basically object storage negligence or the headlines that you see about, uh, mostly when you see a headline, 12 million Verizon users exposed on Amazon, what happened behind the scenes is somebody uh, changing the permissions on the S3 object storage. S3 is in case of Amazon, but surely this can happen on uh, on, on Google Cloud Files or Azure Blob. This is the same problem. Evgeny, from your experience, what happens uh, when we talk about the S3? Um, in, ma in many cases, like we just said, um, not being explicit enough about your purpose with S3 may lead to invalid configuration, uh, which is, I think, why Amazon have recently made it the default uh, that all S3 buckets are uh, closed to any kind of public access by, by default. Uh, this is a change they introduced because it was probably so problematic for so many customers that they just had to do it. Yeah, I, I have to say that Amazon in the last uh, two years, I think, or maybe three years since the Verizon headlines, they invested heavily in uh, protecting your S3. Now I'm getting, if I have a public uh, files, I'm getting an email and it's painted in a different way. And I've got a Amazon mesh you to, uh, to do e-discovery for my files. And we have, so we have a preventive and compensative, uh, preventive controls and compensating controls and detective controls. We have tons of different controls. We just need to use them properly. And most organizations fail to do that. And this is also the case for the, our favorite number three uh, cloud misconfiguration, which is storing your API keys somewhere where they shouldn't be. Yevgeny, you've probably seen too many of those. Definitely. The, again, the first reaction of a developer who needs uh, access keys is to help his fellow developers. And what he does, he puts the access keys or the passwords in version control, and now everybody has it, which is great. And uh, they can kind of excuse themselves saying, well, this version control is a, a private repository, so nobody will get it. Uh, and the, here I have a story from last week. So the last week on, on uh, I think it was Monday or something, uh, one of the uh, junior new, newcomers to the company took the private repository and placed it somewhere public. And even though I have told them repeatedly not to put any kind of keys that are valid in their uh, version control, uh, within minutes, uh, various robots on the internet have caught on, on, on those access keys, had access to their account, removed all the users, and uh, tried to create many, many Bitcoin miners that would cost them tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, unfortunately for the for the attackers, they had bug in the, they had a bug in the robot, so it didn't work. And they also did it at 9 a.m. in the morning when everybody came to work, so all the systems stopped working, like their their build system and everything that used these keys stopped working because they removed all the users. Uh, so the attacker was not stealthy enough. But uh, if they were stealthy, it would be very it would take quite a lot of time to figure out that something happened. 
and uh, it would incur a very high cost on, uh, to the company. And from previous years, we had some customers that had uh, Bitcoin miners sit in their accounts for several days, uh, incurring tens of thousands of dollars of, of cost. And uh, it's not something that you notice until you get, get the, the, the bill at the end of the month. Uh, but actually, your account is compromised. So in, in public cloud in, in particular, giving access and then uh, taking these keys and storing them somewhere which is not secure and version control, the private repo is not secure, is a very, very, very bad practice. You should never, ever do it uh, for passwords as well. Um, when you write any kind of service, you need to provide the passwords from some kind of external source and not uh, write it in the uh, in the code or configuration file. Yeah, actually, your story gave me an idea that we should do a podcast about the ten mistakes that attackers do. Because <laughs> they, also, they also have common mistakes. Yeah. Uh, I have to say that I. Uh, a while ago, I heard a, a lecture from Amazon AWS Security, and they say that seven out of ten security calls they get is about API keys. Now, there's a big, uh, I mean, there's a huge, no, there's a huge uh, amount of knowledge about how to properly use API keys in Amazon, in Azure, in Google Meet Platform. There are ways to do it. There are tools to do it. Open source tools, free tools, uh, commercial tools. Uh, we have the methodology. We have a way. We simply need to choose a way and implement it. And don't let uh, your developers decide how they are storing their keys because they will choose the easiest uh, option. But, but the problem in most of the startups that, you know, you start, uh, developers start the, the, the development, the, the infrastructure. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to take any uh, uh, responsibility from the developer. You're a developer in a new company. You don't have a security guy. Sit down and read the best practices for AWS. I'm not saying go and do a, a security certification. Read the best practices for AWS and behave according to uh, the best practice. And every best practice in cloud development is talking about how to safely store your API keys. Many of these practices can be automated, and we'll talk about that uh, a bit yeah, later. And that's the solution, yeah. Um, vulnerability servers exposed. Actually, we have this problem off the cloud, but it, we also have this problem in the cloud. And I think it's actually easier to deal with them in the cloud. But uh, again, let's talk about it. First of all, let's talk about the challenge. Right. So here I also have a, a real story from the field a couple of years ago. Uh, one of our clients called me up and says um, there's something wrong with my server and what was happening was a hard bleed. So hard bleed, for those who don't know, is a vulnerability that basically makes every server that answers via HTTPS or SSL um, enables attackers to basically read the memory of the server. So any attacker can uh, kind of connect via HTTPS in a special way and then read all the other users that are trying to connect and entering their passwords and usernames and everything. He can just read that as if it was a printer printing out in his office. So uh, for that particular customer, he did not use a, a load balancer that would do something called SSL termination, which basically means that the SSL is on the load balancer side. And um, the load balancers of Amazon Cloud were patched and updated to mitigate Heartbeat on the same day that it was uh, released. But of course, 
when you take it into your hands on your own server and that server is open to the world, uh, it's much harder to keep track of all the latest security problems, uh, etc., etc. And uh, like I said previously, uh, opening up SSH to the world and that SSH is out of date by a couple of years uh, probably means that your server is, is accessible by anyone in the world, more or less. Managing servers is a responsibility, and you need to make sure that you have the capabilities of managing those servers. Not now, I'm I'm not saying that you should use pure platform as a service and don't use servers because the world is not uh, the real world is not supporting in this scenario. But if you're using servers, first of all, you need to and you need to make sure that you have the proper ways to manage them. Second, don't use servers for something that is trivial like load balancing, like proxies. You have enough managed services for that. And if you need something special, it usually means that you're not working according to best practices. If you if you cannot route your services into commercial uh, load balancer, so again, think about again about your uh, your configuration. I know that many security people don't like uh, to have somebody else managing their servers. Well, that's okay. Well, it's either you take the responsibility and manage your servers and make sure that they are updated, or leave it to somebody else. Uh, I, I want to connect it to, uh, to other thing that Evgeny uh, said about the shared responsibility model. Sometimes you think that you put the server in the cloud and you are secure. And this is not uh, the way. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, other providers are not secure either. Not all of them uh, um, are as secure as you would like them to be. So what I like to do is I basically I have some kind of um, reputation for, for providers. If the providers has not so great reputation, I wouldn't trust them with anything that is uh, sensitive. Uh, we can maybe mention that just uh, yesterday or two days ago in our time when we are recording this, uh, Docker Hub has, uh, has leaked 190,000 190, accounts, uh, basically their passwords and everything. They're saying it's a very small <laughs> percentage of all of their users, but who cares? It's, it's uh, some kind of negligence somewhere uh, because of misconfiguration of servers. When I first started with cloud, oh, we're moving to the next one. When I first started with cloud, I mean, like it was uh, nine or ten years ago. All the services, I mean, from network topology point of view, were very uh, united. How would they say that? There was lack of segregation between servers. There was no option to a uh, firewall. There was only option to have a public IPs. And this is how most people think about cloud services. I mean, they're very, they're very open. They're very open to the world. They have, always have public IPs. It's very hard to segregate, to segregate them. But the fact is, is that in that the last four or five years, when SDN kicked in, Software Defined Networking, we can now build very segregated servers. We can put an, any servers on its own subnet. We can choose the IP addresses. We can choose if it gets a public IP or not. We can have a very segregated and closed environment and we can have segregation at different levels at ip level at a subnet level at firewall level we can have different accounts for each server which is a logical segregation and yet people fail to segregate those services those uh, different services though this different servers though different account and this is our number five uh, security configure uh, sorry security misconfiguration any stories about it, uh, Evgeny? So, I, when I started my cloud uh, experience, 
VPC was not so easy. It, it's very hard, and it is. And I think that for me, it might be easy today because I have a lot of experience with it. But for newcomers, VPC uh, or configuring your own networking subnets, etc., in a cloud provider is a very, very complex uh, subject. Uh, which is means that it is very easy to do the easy thing there and basically get yourself into a lot of trouble. Um, especially like when you have something that is critical, uh, that needs to be secure and needs to be protected, etc., etc. Like for example, a database, you would want to put it in a private uh, subnet that doesn't have public IPs at all. Uh, you might have public IPs for a database if you're using that for development because you want to access it uh, from the office, but that is also very bad. It would be much better to uh, install like VPNs or things like that. And all of that is very complex. Uh, the DevOps people are hardly uh, the best people who know security like by, by heart. Secure, uh, sorry, uh, networking, because net networking is is basically a, a, one of the most complex subjects in uh, in computing. Uh, configuring all of that, adding VPNs, and making it secure is extremely hard. Most people don't bother, uh, or they choose the easy way out. Um, and uh, in terms of uh, of accounts, in many cases, I, um, people would use the same account for uh, both development and, and testing and production and staging and everything because that's the easy way that's the comfortable way to use your account and which means in other words that if something under the umbrella of development uh, causes that account to be compromised you have compromised all of your customers of your service as well uh, not a good place to be in and it's much better to kind of as uh, Moshe said, segregate, separate, have different domains. I I, I just re uh, I remembered um, Tom Clark from uh, ITV in uh, in England. It, they called it blessed radius. So when something explodes, the explosion is small. So they they are talking about having a different um, account for every service that they have. So the company is developing uh, hundreds of services, I think, and everyone is sitting in a different account in order to minimize the blast radius of uh, any of those exploding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that the uh, logical separation, I mean, an account is a logical thing. It can be closed, it can be uh, something can happen to him. Uh, it could be even not your fault, it could be the provider fault. A um, couple of days ago, I heard a story from a company sitting not so far from here that their account was closed because they used a, an out, uh, outdated credit card, which is okay. But when the provider wanted to reopen the account after they settled the, uh, the credit card issue, he ran into problems re-enabling the account. And uh, they spent like two weeks without accessing their, uh, their emails and uh, files and everything. So um, account is something logical. Something can happen to him. Make sure to have a couple of them separate, I don't know, separate uh, production to development to uh, test, separate, I don't know, front-end servers to back-end servers, whatever makes it uh, more sense. The good thing is that cloud providers are becoming better in doing cross-account permissions. Uh, AWS uh, is leading the pack, but Microsoft also has this under their EI agreement. I mean, you can have different accounts and you can have cross-account permissions. And this is a, a great way to segregate your services. Uh, and like you say, Moshe, uh, before two or three years, there was something else. And now the 
all, all the providers are going to to this way to allow us to be more secure and more uh, yeah and I like this term uh, blast radius I mean uh, it's definitely uh, you can limit it by uh, networking or you can limit it by uh, logical uh, different accounts uh, segregations and different account segregation it's also important not to use your root account which is basically the keys to your kingdom and people people keep making this mistake right Evgeny yeah and the most uh, cloud providers that I know at the <coughs> user management dashboard or whatever they have this checklist that says how secure are you one of the most important things is that you would uh, not use the root account or disable it disable its keys if possible and just create administrative accounts etc also use two-factor authentication everywhere. Uh, many services today are adding that as a um, uh, something that you can do uh, kind of mandated, that it is mandatory to use two-factor authentication for all the administrator access users. Of course, you would want to use two-factor authentication because if, and you know, not, 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 not if, when their password leaks out somewhere, at least your company will not suffer from it. Um, one story I have and this root account thing is a, a, a company, a customer of ours uh, several years ago who have used their, uh, they, they basically just needed a file downloaded to the mobile application and they had 50 million installations of their mobile applications and every application needed an XML file downloaded on, on boot. So they created an Amazon account and they thought, well, S3 is a good option and we'll use that. They didn't uh, make a public bucket for some reason. They have decided to keep the public the, the bucket uh, behind the permission wall and the uh, uh, keys that they used in the mobile applications that they sent to their users was the root account. Now, once they uploaded this Android application to the Amazon store, they, they received an email saying there's a, there are keys in the application, you should revoke them. And now they cannot revoke them because and and for the root account the biggest problem with it is that you cannot reduce the amount of permissions it has you cannot limit it to some set of like only this file from this bucket that's what you can do in your life no it has unlimited access to your account which means that anybody who has it can uh, use your account to mine bitcoin to burn money and uh, you you end up paying for it not a good place to be in no, this is a terrible story. I mean, uh, basically, bottom line, if you don't understand it, is that uh, everybody is using the application and be able was able to get into the environment and delete everything. With 5 million installations. 50 million. <laughs> 50, 50, 50, oh, <laughs> 50 million installations. So 50 million people are able to access their uh, data and simply delete it, take it, whatever. Uh, this is amazing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that security guys don't understand enough the meaning of uh, secure access keys because it's not something we're used to from traditional network. I'm spending a lot of time explaining to people the difference between password and an API key and uh, why they should treat them different. And of course, the permissions that are given to the API keys is the challenge. And the, the, last, the biggest problem I see is that, okay, we talked about a lot of misconfigurations. The cloud has a... Uh, Misconfiguration will probably always happen. You can limit it, you can mitigate it, you can uh, make sure that they are not that big, that they will not have a devastating effect on your environment. But you also need a compensating control, which is basically the monitoring. 
And if you don't invest enough in uh, your uh, uh, preventive controls, invest heavily in your uh, logging and monitoring stuff. And this is also a, a misconfiguration that I see. The cloud has amazing monitoring possibilities. They come usually free of charge. They're built in, but people have to activate them. They're not open by default and people fail uh, to do that. Evgeny, from your, uh, from your uh, experience, the best uh, monitoring or the uh, biggest uh, challenges with monitoring? Right, so when talking about cloud providers, there are two things. One is uh, cloud providers work with APIs. Everything done with the cloud provider is done using some kind of key via an API. And there's an audit trail that says which key did what. Um, for example, in Amazon AWS, it's called Cloud Trail. You can enable it. And what it allows you is, um, for example, last week, when we had a compromise with one of our uh, customers, we could within half an hour do a full analysis of what exactly happened, what has been tried, which servers the attacker tried to create where. Um, we had all this information at our disposal because we have activated CloudTrail and it was logging all the API activity. Uh, on the other hand, there is another aspect to monitoring uh, your cloud and that is the billing uh, aspect. So when some strange activity is happening in the account, usually it costs you a lot of money. So if you're looking at the at the number of dollars you're spending and suddenly it starts to kind of you know, like in a casino, to you didn't win anything. It's probably an attacker <laughs> running some Bitcoin servers in your uh, account, and uh, you should probably go and investigate that as soon as possible. Uh, but unfortunately, most uh, managers or most companies that use cloud only see the billing at the end of the month. And in some cases, the one who sees it is the financial officer, and he kind of comes to the, to the R&D manager and says, um, is there any reason why we are we have been paying 10 times more this month than all the previous month combined? And he's like, mm, let me check that. And that's too late. That's probably because you have been, your account has been compromised uh, like several weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, so uh, to, to summarize this, uh, the cloud has amazing monitoring possibilities. You can have uh, VPC flow logs that records all your traffic. You can have uh, CloudTrail, which monitors all your API keys and then dashboard activities. Basically, if I compare it to on-premise, it's like having a network uh, sniffer installed on all your uh, switches. It's like having a, a admin monitor uh, installed on all your servers. We, this is amazing capability, but you need to activate it and you need to configure it properly and you need to monitor it and you need to make sure that only the relevant people can access uh, those uh, logs and also the settings because one of the nicest things that hackers do is turn off the uh, billing alerts once they get in. So you need to make sure it's on a different user and different permissions and you have to configure this properly. And this was our last uh, misconfiguration which took us a, a bit longer than we expected. So let's talk about now about uh, solutions how we can cope with this. I mean, Evgeny, we, we have a lot of challenges, but this is useless unless we give people some advice on how to deal with them. And let's try to do this on based on the process you need to have, the people uh, you need to, uh, you need to uh, educate or uh, make sure that they have the right capabilities and the technologies you want to use. Starting with uh, the process, I mean, okay, so I'm a young company, I'm developing on top of cloud. How can I make sure that my developers will have the ability to innovate, to create their own services that I'm not stopping them from uh, moving fast? 
And at the same time, I'm keeping my services at a baseline of security that I know that are not creating a, at least a big damage to the infrastructure. What do you say, Evgeny? Do you have a solution? Right. So for a small company, it would usually just pay off to um, the the services that the company would uh, uh, chose to use to just read their guidelines and best practices and do what they say. In many cases, in small companies or startups, people never bother to do that or don't find the time and they just accept the defaults or don't uh, put in place the proper configuration, etc. Uh, I actually see a bigger problem in, in much bigger companies because in bigger companies, more and more people are interchanged and uh, new employees are coming and old employees are going. So you kind of have knowledge leaks and in there, the, the process around what needs to be done and how things are done here is not um, standardized. And when it's not standardized and there are, there's no tool that standardizes the way things are done here, then everybody chooses to do them like they used to do at home or used to do in their previous startup. And that means that when, especially today, when big companies are uh, embracing the cloud and starting to use the cloud more and more, many people who come there are coming from non-big companies and they bring with them this process of uh, okay i'll do what's easier for me not what is right and for big company they can suffer a bit of slowness and do things right but in order to do that they need to have uh, standards these standards need to be in uh, tools we will talk about uh, self-service tools for example when developer from on one hand wants to get his job done uh, and for that he needs permissions he needs access to various resources in the cloud etc etc on the other hand he needs to not compromise the organization but he doesn't really care how he does that it's not his responsibility to care about it uh, sorry it is his responsibility to care about it but he doesn't bother to care about it in most of the cases uh, unless there's this is the way we do things here so if this is the way we do things here is getting a access key that is only valid for one hour and that is standardized in some kind of self-service portal or tool that's the way he's going to do things if the things uh, the, the way we do things here is uh, just log in into the account and create your own admin user open up all the security groups as you wish etc etc then that's what he's going to do because that's the easiest way so the, the, the governance this is the the first thing that uh, when not matter if you are a startup or a, an enterprise, this is something that you need to start with the governance, standards and uh, and policies, and not only technical, but uh, to need a really protocol. Yeah, and, and again, I'll, I'll return in small companies, usually the provider of the service will give you a guideline, will give you the best practices. You just need to understand what is written there or uh, watch a video. <laughs> There's so many ways to, to get new information today. Uh, and, and do what they say. Basically, if they tell you, well, you shouldn't open up security groups to the world, then understand what a security group is and don't open up the security walls to the world, even if you're a very small company of a couple of people. Uh, it will help you save time on the long run, save yourself from various uh, bad things happening to you. Uh, yeah. 
So the idea is that developers should have the autonomy to build their own services. They, if they need to build up a, a microservice, they should be able to uh, set up the bucket, uh, load the, the database, install the containers or a website or configure the CDN. But they should do this through a self-service portal, which give them like the the boundaries. Okay, so you can create a bucket, but it shouldn't be public. You can uh, you can have the connection string to the database, but uh, the API key will be uh, something that is uh, changing rapidly. And uh, basically, you build the services according to a uh, to a standard. Should it should this be a black box for the people? I mean, they simply press a button and, and something is loading. And or how how does it look like from the developer's point of view? So again, if you separate this to smaller companies and bigger companies and smaller companies, developers have much more responsibility because usually they don't have the process automated yet. Uh, so it's a, a white box. They, they know exactly what they're doing mm -hmm. or uh, they maybe don't know what they're not doing because they have not been educated or read the guidelines. In bigger companies, when uh, the self-service portal is too much of a black box. Developers don't know what is being done on one hand. It frees them up. It uh, gives them more time to focus on what they need. On the other hand, in many cases, it leads to frustration, to too many restrictions and limits, and they don't know how these things work, so they will find a workaround. Um, I'll, I'll, I can uh, kind of, again, repeat this, uh, the, this lecture that I saw by, by Tom Clark. Um, he said... We, need, we, we had a small team, we needed to create a service, and we called up the guys in India because that's our IT department, he's in England, and we told them we need servers and it took forever. It took months to get servers just to get developing. And that was just not, um, not, not, not something that is logical for us. So he asked his boss to give him a credit card, he opened up, an account with the cloud and within the, the same day he, he was starting to develop. So people will always find ways around things that don't work right for them. Uh, which is also important to, to know that when a self-service portal is set in place, a lot by security people, by operations people, whoever that is, uh, these people who put it in place need to constantly go to developers and ask for feedback ask what is frustrating them, what is not working, and kind of open up all the things because they can do it by taking in mind the best practices while developers will just find a workaround. Yeah, so uh, summarizing this, uh, from the uh, people point of view, you need to make sure to break old habits, you need to make sure to break people uh, if they come from a different background, from different uh, platforms, you need to make sure that they break to break their uh, old habits so they will not use access keys inside their configuration to files and uh, to build new habits to build new habits yeah that's that's a better way to look at it from the positive point of view from the process point of view you need to give your developers a self-service portal they will be able to launch their services understanding what happens behind the scene give them the right knowledge but keep them in the boundaries of what you're allowed to do how about technology uh, and, uh, and before we go to technology i mm -hmm. think that uh, in many you know big uh, companies enterprises there is a lot of fights uh, between uh, the security and the developers and uh, the thing is to try to build uh, a, a good uh, ro a roadmap or uh, a good relations to work i, I remember as i was at a very big financial uh, company or government uh, mm -hmm. uh, um, ministry in israel and it was you know a big fight and uh, i felt that we are winning and <laughs> getting the security with us and we have a yes 
and some sudden some developer jump and why two factor authentication <laughs> and i said let's start working and we will move everybody needs yeah. to change their habits yeah yeah in bigger companies there's no just in life there's no such thing as win loss somebody wins somebody loses because usually everybody loses that's what happens you have to find the solution that is win-win so when the operations people or the security people are overzealous and want to close all the all the access to everybody and uh, everybody needs to go through a whole process of emails just to get access to something that they had access to usually it means that the whole organization is working at a much much slower pace is not getting to its goals it's frustrating for everybody including the the manager of the operation of the of the whole organization even uh, and and we see that a lot in bigger organizations when yeah. there's like a segregation separation or siloing between departments this is where devops came in and said well let's try and make these people talk let's try and make these people find win-win solutions self-service portal is one of these solutions um, uh, if i kind of give a small word about devops in many big organizations uh, because of the habits they don't really understand that when you have two silos, you should not be creating a third silo called DevOps that will now have its own responsibilities because that is just making the problem many, many times worse. And unfortunately, I have seen this in some bigger organizations. They had their IT department, they had their development department. They didn't work well together. They didn't have any kind of self-service or anything. Everybody had to work um, get permissions by email. It took weeks or months. Now they have DevOps department. The DevOps department is yet another thing that needs something from IT. On the other hand, it's a proxy to developers. So developers now need something and they don't get it within a month, they get it within a year because it overcomplicates <laughs> things. Uh, including, of course, access to systems, to resources in order to develop and in order to create production systems. Today, cannot take years. It must be much faster. This is why uh, the cloud uh, is enabling small companies to become much faster because all this security stuff is uh, doesn't require people. It's it's much more automated, or at least it potentially can be much more automated. Uh, and that gives us uh, the uh, preview to the technology thing. I mean, uh, so everything around self-service portal permissions, the challenge is automation. I mean, we don't want to do things manually we don't want uh, uh, programmers to configure their own services manually we want to keep this automated so we need to have an automation layer how do you achieve it cloud formation or uh, your own configuration management or whatever this is uh, one challenge so give us uh, your three or four tools that you think that every mature organization should have uh, Evgeny when we talk about technology and how it can help us dealing with those misconfiguration right so uh, as we said previously, you shouldn't store your access keys in version control, but uh, access keys are required for applications as well. Uh, for example, in uh, Amazon Cloud, there's this thing called IAM roles, not just in Amazon Cloud, in all the clouds, there's this thing that servers have the credential of the server. The server doesn't need to be provided with a file with a text in it that gives it permissions. Uh, being a server in your account plus some kind of configuration of the cloud itself gives that server permissions. 
In many cases, that can be used instead of uh, hard coding uh, tokens everywhere. That's a very important uh, tool that needs to be utilized much more if it's uh, not yet utilized uh, in your company. And uh, when that is not possible in many cases, because that would only work with tokens of the cloud provider, then you need some kind of other tool that will uh, be the ATM machine for passwords, for tokens, for access keys, etc., etc., both for applications running as your services and the people who need to access um, the cloud or need to access uh, various services that are protected by passwords and access keys. Uh, here I can highly, highly recommend uh, HashiCorp Vault. The, I think more than just being an ATM machine for access keys, the thing is, every time it gives you a password, every time it gives you an access key, it gives you something that is limited, that will expire, uh, limited in time, will expire in an hour, two hours, a couple of hours. Why is that important? Because when you give when you give developers access key to your cloud and those access keys have no expiration, these will get used in critical systems and these critical systems will be dependent on those keys. When those keys are compromised and they will be get compromised, um, basically you have to now reconfigure the whole thing. With a system that generates tokens that only live for a couple of hours, if one of those tokens leaks out somewhere, or one of those passwords gets, uh, I don't know, stolen on a laptop without a password, then nothing bad has happened uh, because that password or that token is no longer uh, uh, valid. It has expired days ago, um, which is one of the best features, I think, of, of uh, HashiCorp Vault versus the, the other products that I have uh, experience with, which basically just give you the same secret, the same password over and over again. Like, for example, Kubernetes, if you want to pull from a private repository of images, you want to pull your containers, you kind of need to hard code your password into Kubernetes. Uh, in more, in <laughs> most of the times I have seen this, it has been done by putting a file in version control. And of course, that is not something you kind of, if that file leaks out, then any attacker can put his own images in your repositories. Uh, that key might not have permissions of read-only because that's the key that the developer is using to push the images. And basically, when you don't have any kind of process around how the tokens are generated, how the passwords are generated automatically all the time, then in most cases, you will have a token or a password that has too much permissions, it will be used everywhere, and not, not such a great idea. Just to summarize, we talk about in our preparation conversation, we talk about how, what Conbase are doing and how they uh, implemented it. So, Right, so for exa one example from uh, Coin Coinbase, they have a blog post, I think you'll add it to the show notes, uh, from a couple of years ago when they explain how on one hand they give every developer to create his own credentials in Amazon. Uh, those credentials are always prefixed with the developer name and uh, basically on one hand they give a self-service that every developer can create his own things. On the other hand they have a process around it that um, kind of standardizes what tokens are used for what purpose and then uh, we also talked, we also kind of mentioned before uh, the preparation talk about 
developers using their own passwords or their own private tokens in their applications. So if you don't have a self-service portal to, to generate these, if you don't have some kind of process around it, most developers will choose the easy way out. They will just plug in their own password, their own GitHub password <laughs> into the systems or whatever. And whenever that developer leaves the company, changes his password or gets fired, uh, suddenly half of the system in the company needs taking, need, need to be taken care of because they stopped working because the password is no longer valid. Uh, usually it's, it means that there's no process to just generate passwords at will with the proper credentials and uh, permissions. So summarizing this uh, extremely long podcast, I think it's the <laughs> longest we ever recorded, but it was very interesting. So there are various configuration uh, pitfalls that you can uh, fall to into the cloud. Some of them are not so new. I mean, we have a improper firewall configuration. We have people exposing vulnerable servers in traditional environment. Some of them are cloud specific. I mean, the use of API keys, which is new to us, the new monitoring tools like billing alert and CloudTrail, which is new to us, and we need to master how to use them. So we have different challenges that we need to cope with. Um, and we, you, you need to divide them between things you already know and things you need to learn more in order to secure them. Now, and Yevgeny is saying, okay, for all those cloud misconfiguration, there are a couple of things you need to implement. Uh, first of all, self-service portal, make sure that your uh, people will still able to innovate to create their own services, but in a very secure framework. We need to make sure that people leave their own habits or as Yevgeny said, gain new habits. And of course, from the technology point of view, use the right tools, keep your secrets in, a, in the right place, uh, make sure that uh, you have the right uh, permissions. This is a, a long-standing uh, security, uh, uh, security requirement to have the least privileges, but the way to do it in the cloud is, is a bit challenging. The idea here is always, as we say, don't block your developers, let them have what they need. Just make sure that they do the right thing that you're able to live with in your uh, in your production environment, meaning let them have create users, let them have keys, just monitor them, tag them, and follow them that they're creating them with the right permission set. This is my summary of things. Uh, anything to add, Evgeny? Right, so as a consultant, I would like to say that when consultants and or your service providers are telling you about best practices, uh, don't ignore these. These are important, they are there to protect you, to make you better, to kind of make sure that you will not fall into pitfalls uh, in, in the near future. Uh, and again, as a consultant, I have often said to some uh, people, not just my clients, that they should do this and that or else. And usually the or else happened. <laughs> and Ariel, you took the developers uh, stand. Time to date. <laughs> yeah, anything yeah. you want to add about how security people make your life miserable? Uh, I, I think that is, uh, we, we talked uh, in the previous uh, podcast, it's difficult. And uh, I think that um, the main uh, thing that I take is to work together and uh, the world is changing and all, all of us need uh, to adopt new habits like uh, you've been saying. Yeah. Okay, thank you everybody. Hope you have enjoyed this one. Ruth. And the end.